Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hi, my name is Rick Martinez, and I am a cookbook author, video host, and love a Sunday sleep-in. Ooh, I'm Carla Lolly Music. I'm also a cookbook author, former restaurant person, and I have not one, not two, but three outdoor cooking vessels. So does it make me a jerk if I have four or five outdoor cooking vessels? I mean, <laughs> they all meet different needs. Of course they do. <laughs> Rick and I have been solving and laughing our way through food problems together for more than a decade in test kitchens, in videos, and at magazines. And now we're doing it here on Borderline Salty, the show where we take your calls, boost your confidence, and make you a better, smarter, and happier cook, just like us. Today, we've got lots of advice on all the delicious ways to enjoy veggies, why tin fish became so trendy, and I'll even confess my least favorite pasta shape. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but before we dive in, Rick, tell me something good. You know what's good? Tell me. Naked food is good. Naked food? Naked food, yeah. And if you're eating it while naked, then even better. Wait, didn't you listen to our Miss Cracker episode? You have to be careful with the nakedness. Okay, but you I didn't say cook the food. I said eat the food naked while naked. So the food is naked. The food is naked. So here's my thing. My friends gave me this literal trash bag full of beautifully ripened, just-picked tomatoes. And I realized that I have been eating tomatoes just cut with a little pinch of salt and sometimes a little grind of pepper for the last four days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you want to post this on the gram. And then I was like, but it's the same thing over and over again. And people are going to be like, why Why aren't you doing something with them? Why don't you cook them? Why don't you add something else, make a caprese salad? And I thought about it. And in fact, I bought some really nice mozz and I was going to make the caprese and I tasted it together with the tomatoes. And then I thought, you know what? All I want is that beautiful flavor of tomato. And yeah. I am like this with other things too. So at the height of peach season or corn season or mangoes, pineapple, papaya, mm -hmm. coconut. Like, I don't want anything dressed because when it's really good, it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need any help from me. Yeah. I mean, when something's perfect, just enjoy it in its perfection. Exactly. That's a God's tomato right there. God's tomato. So, Carla, what's good? What's good? 
Tell me something good. So what's good over here is that I have recently gotten back into smoothies, which I adore. And this is all kind of in a little bit of an effort to eat more protein, Mm -hmm. which is one banana, Mm -hmm. about a tablespoon of tahini. I have really good sum tahini right now. A pinch of salt, a scoop of the chocolate whey protein powder, which normally I want only the unflavored because the flavors can be so weird, but this chocolate whey protein is very delicious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some cold brew, so it's also my afternoon coffee, and like equal parts cold brew and oat milk or any kind of milk, or honestly, you could use water, and then blend that up, and it is delicious. Wow. I'm going to have one today when we finish recording. Wait, so do you eat this before or after the gym? Usually after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really like eating before I go to the gym. Plus, there's something about like having the carrot at the end of your workout. Yes. Oh, my God. It's all about the carrot. First of all, working out is all about being done working out. Yeah. Like, the best part of working out is not working out anymore. So, like, there's that. And then, yeah, the caffeine reward is, like, huge. Oh. Yeah. Chocolate, coffee, oat, tahini, smoothie. The best carrot ever. <laughs> it's color question time. <laughs> Hi, my name is Julia, and I'm calling with a food therapy question that basically is a generational issue. Growing up in the 90s, my parents would cook us vegetables, steam them, blanch them, boil them until they were mush. And I'm wondering whether it was my palate that changed, or was it that my parents just didn't know how to cook vegetables, and what can I do to make those types of vegetables more interesting to my own children? Please let me know. I completely relate to this. My mother was an amazing cook, and I hated her green beans. And they grew them fresh, but she just boiled them until they were literally falling apart. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is so awful. (laughs) My dad always, his joke about his mother's cooking was that she wasn't a very good cook, and she just cooked everything until it was all the same color. Maybe Julia's parents, like, that maybe was the only way that they knew how to cook vegetables, and they didn't taste very good. Yeah, I mean, they might have also had the frame of reference of canned vegetables, Mm -hmm. which were very popular in the 80s and 70s when you're probably your parents were growing up. Right. If you opened up cans of all the green vegetables, they all were the same color, that weird olivey green kind of squishy texture. So it's not their fault. Right. I think the key is not boiling them in plain water. Right. They're just going to leach all the flavor out of them and become mushy, whereas like collards and pot liquor is cooked with a ham hock and tons of flavor and Tomatoes. for a really long time. And mm-hmm. yeah. So Julia likes vegetables the way that she likes vegetables now. And that's great. Like she should cook them the way that she wants to eat them. Totally. If you want your kids to grow up enjoying vegetables, all you need to do is like enjoy vegetables with them include them in the preparation of the food. I've really found that if you want kids to eat something, even raising a very selective eater, like when Cosmo was part of making dinner, Mm -hmm. things that he wouldn't normally eat, he totally would try. One of the ways that I was taught how to cook vegetables is when I worked in restaurants, we would blanch our vegetables in super salty water. Like it Mm -hmm. was brine strength. So it was a 10% ratio of salt to water. Mm -hmm. 
And the way that I usually did it for when to pull the vegetables is just at the moment that you see the bubbles start to form. The temperature is about 200, 205 degrees. Pull them out. Drop them into an ice bath or spread them out on a sheet tray to cool off. Mm -hmm. The salt, not only does it flavor the vegetable, but it actually prevents a lot of the nutrients from being leached out of the water. Right. When you're doing that, you're also keeping the flavor in as well. You also lock in that beautiful color, whatever the color you started with. And then after that, you can char it or saute it, do whatever you want. Right. That's what I was going to say. I feel like she could do that. And then once you have like a crisp, tender, really nicely seasoned, you know, beautiful vegetable, then you could throw those in a hot saute pan and get really nice color on them and it would be fast and they would have incredible flavor from the salting. So totally, the key with that being don't boil it for too long or it will become inedibly salty. Right. If you have that much salt in the water, it's like a real quick dip, quick dip in the ocean. <laughs> Next caller, please. Oh, hey, it's Alex. I'm calling because I am so afraid of ganache. I'm deathly afraid. I made it once, and it was just a disaster. The milk was scummy, and it just, like, didn't fold into the chocolate right, and it got lumpy and disgusting, and I went down a Google rabbit hole, and I thought, I'll never cook again. You know what I mean? Anyway, <laughs> perhaps you can help me with the ganache, dear God. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Poor Alex. For something with two ingredients, the impact on, on Alex's life has been tr- truly severe. Code blue. <laughs> Coming in hot. <laughs> Ganache is incredibly simple. It is literally solid chopped chocolate and cream. But I actually had encountered this problem at Bon Appetit working on recipes where we got feedback from readers that this exact same thing had happened. And it turns out that two things will cause this to happen. One is very straightforward and simple. If the cream is too hot when you add it to the chocolate, it will cause the chocolate to split. So heating the cream gently until it's just above warm, combining it with the chocolate. The other thing, and this was really not intuitive at all, you need to be careful with the percentage chocolate that you choose. So anything above 75% chocolate is going to have too much cocoa solids to hold the ganache together. So it's actually going to cause it to break. So Wherever it is printed on the package, look for something around 70%. That's really ideal. Right. One part of Alex's question that's weird to me is he refers to milk, which is lower fat, obviously, than cream. Um, But maybe he just meant cream. Because usually ganache is chocolate and cream. Yeah. And maybe that might be part of it. I mean, it should still melt into a nice, silky situation. But it's going to be a less rich ganache. and For sure. Yeah. It's funny because the fat content in the ganache is similar to any other emulsion where you need a certain amount of liquid to hold a certain amount of fat. If the fat is too rich, even in the cream itself, that can also cause splitting, which is something that we learned through empirical evidence. My mom has been making 
a marble cake with fudge frosting for all of our birthdays. So everybody in the family gets the same birthday cake. And it's from Fanny Farmer's Baking Book. And it is perfect in every way. And she had made it forever and ever and ever. And then one year, she made it, and it was grainy and weird. And it was frostable, but then... As the frosting sat on the cake, it just started to slide down the side, so it wasn't set. The fat was separating. We couldn't figure it out. It's the same method, same person, same everything. And finally, we're just sort of like going down the checklist. What have you done differently? Is the chocolate different? Is any of the other ingredients different? And it turned out my mom had started using beautiful cream on top, Ronnie Brook heavy cream, where the fat content of the cream is actually higher than the Horizon Organic or whatever ultra-pasteurized heavy cream that she had used in the past. So she thought, oh, upgrade. Like, I'm going to make the frosting even more special by using this fabulous cream-on-top cream. And it was too much fat, and that was the problem. So she went back to using ultra-pasteurized regular cream line, and it doesn't happen anymore. So... I just want Alex to get back into it, you know? Yeah, ganache is waiting for you, Alex. Jump in. <laughs> Jump into that shiny, luscious, chocolatey river. <laughs> Slurp. <laughs> Slurp. Borderline Salty, you've reached us during working hours. Hi, Carla and Rick. This is Taylor from South Carolina, and I'd really love some insight into sardines. They seem to be popping up all over the place lately, and I'm super unfamiliar with them. I'm kind of intimidated about all of it, different packing liquids, what to use them in as a newbie, and then where do I go from there? What do I do with the leftover fishies that I don't use if a recipe only calls for one or two? What's the smell situation like? How fishy are they? How salty are they? Um, Yeah, sardines. All right, Carla, help this woman out. Yeah, Taylor really wants to dive into sardines. <laughs> you see what I did there? I'm going to just have another sip of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tinned fishes have definitely become extremely trendy. And I think there's a couple reasons for it. One is that there's a lot more talk and a lot more awareness around the more sustainable, eco-friendly fish. A lot of fish has been overfished. We ruined the ocean. We have to correct that. And one of the ways to do it is to eat the smaller fish. So sardines, anchovies, all of those guys are lower on the food chain. They're supposed to be very healthy, high omegas, but also better for the world. The other thing that happened is they just got really cute packaging. Love the packaging. Maybe something happened where some of these imported brands got to be distributed in the U.S., and we were seeing things that we had never seen before, so they really took off. Sardines are all of the things that Taylor said, but I really love them. So a couple of just logistical things that I would do getting into your first can of sardines. Drain the liquid, number one. I know some people use it. I just think that it holds a lot of that off flavor, so I always get rid of it. You don't know the quality of the olive oil and things like that. So I would drain that. And then with the sardine in particular, you need to kind of go in with a fork or the front of a paring knife and open the fish up. It's not going to have its head on, but it will have the top and bottom filet packed together. And you want to just tease those apart, 
open it up like a book, and then with the end of a fork again or your paring knife, just zip out that center part of the spine, which is soft enough to eat. But if you're in any way squeamish or you're trying this for the first time, just stack the deck in your favor, (laughs) get rid of that little bone. And then from there, you know, you can use them in tons of different preparations. If you were thinking about flavor and presentation, a way to make this palatable, what would you do? You are very right. I'm of the mindset that I would rather eat a fresh fish. And so I like fresh sardines a lot. But I think, you know, if you're getting an oil pack sardine, you might want to take it and then flake it apart and add some lemon juice, some herbs, uh, something really fresh and bright. Mm -hmm. A little zest always helps. Some really good fresh olive oil. And all of those flavors are going to they're going to sort of mask, but they're also going to cut through that that richness and that fishiness that is at least, you know, sometimes for me, it's not like the, my favorite thing to eat. But yeah. once you've added all those flavors to it, it just, it completely transforms the ingredient into something else. Totally. The fattiness of this fish is very forward. And what do you do to balance a fattiness in anything? You add lots of acidity, you add heat, you add crunch, you add spice. So I love in my tuna salad, actually, which is, you know, on the spectrum, pickled peppers, like the little pickled banana peppers or pepperoncini, which are both spicy and really acidic. And I just chop those up and use the liquid from the jar or the liquid that comes out when you cut them open and put that into the mix. And it kind of crosses two things off the list in being acidic and having spice to it. Mm, Yes. I think butter is also a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. Sautéed with butter. Yes. Brown butter. Yeah, sautéed with brown butter or, you know, my grandfather sort of famously love to eat anchovies on buttered crackers as a snack in the afternoon. And that's why that works. It's just fattiness and the sweetness, a little bit of crunch, and then you can put a fishy fish. I don't know if you remember, when I did the uh, the Feast of the Seven Fishes, I made the anchovy garlic knots. Oh. Insanely delicious. Insane. You know, and it's funny, too, because when I use anchovies, I have a tendency to overdo bold flavors. And so anchovies are one of those things that I try and edit myself, and I don't want to put, like, an entire jar in something. But those garlic knots actually took a lot of anchovy because when you bake them— the flavor gets really flat and muted. And so you yeah. you needed that extra punch of the anchovy, but they were ridiculously addictive. So good. And so I think when you find that perfect combination of like the fatty, the rich, the acidic, the nutty, the oily, and you add the tin fish to it, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> if you yourself, Rick, are turned on by this conversation, then there's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> Welcome to Borderline Salty. How can I help you? Hi, my name's Amanda. I just got off work and saw your post, which is appropriate, because what scares me is being stuck in the back of the house at a restaurant for the rest of my life. I have been a cook in some way, shape, or form, baking, prep, line cook for the last 16 years, and I keep finding myself in the same position not really making a lot more money, even though I have a ton of experience because I don't want to go into management. So the thing that scares me the most is that 
I'm going to be stuck in this food production job for the rest of my life or until my brain or body gives out from the stress. Please help me. I don't know where to go. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Wow. Um, a lot of what Amanda was talking about kind of struck home. Yeah. I think I've felt a lot of those same emotions probably at, at multiple points in my career. I can really relate, too, because, like, being a line cook is an incredibly hard job. Oh, awful. With physical toll and then the social toll, lifestyle, just really intense. Yeah. So when you were line cooking, how long did you do it for? Three years. And ABC Kitchen had just opened and had just won a James Beard Award. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I first started, we were doing like 300 covers a day. And then when I left, we were doing 1,500 a day. Wow. It was insane. So when you're cooking for 500 covers at dinner or brunch, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you're going to learn how to make a pancake and an egg and a fish. And that was a piece of valuable experience that I needed. But I also knew that I didn't want to do that forever, and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so once I learned the things that I needed to learn, I was like, right, now it's time to try and figure out how to get into food media, which is where I really wanted to be. So you had that goal. That goal was, like, clear. Yeah. I mean, I never wanted a restaurant. I never wanted to work in the line or or be in management, similar to Amanda. And I figured that with a marketing background and a knowledge of food and how to cook, I could go into media. Yeah. And so I made the decision to quit. And I looked at my bank account, and I made a plan, and I was like, I'm going to see figure out how long I can go without an actual paycheck. And I cleared my mind of the line cook world, because as you know, it's like, you know, my last day I worked 18 hours because, you know, two people called out. Of course. So I was like, I didn't even get like goodbye happy hour. I was like, I just want to go to bed. Like, leave me alone. And so, you know, I cleared my head and then I was like, all right, I got to start meeting people in media, at the Food Network, at magazines, at blogs, and just basically hit the pavement until... I got a break. I got an internship at Food Network. Right. And it, and that was another humbling experience. I hadn't been an intern in like 20 years, you know? But it's like you do what you do. Like, I mean, honestly, I I would have cleaned the toilets. And I mean, I, I clean grease traps, so kind of like a toilet. <laughs> it almost works. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like if you, if you want that job, if you want that life, those are the things that you do. And I learned that pursuing your passion – You just do whatever you got to do. Yeah, it's funny because when I started in culinary, it also was a career change for me. But I had come from book publishing and like some internet stuff. And I knew I didn't want to do that, but I didn't really know. And the one thing that I was really interested in was cooking. Mm. So I think just bringing it back to Amanda who like knows so much, knows she doesn't want to manage people, which again is like, I get that. It's not fun um, having like run Shake Shack for two years where people would like literally go on a half hour break and never come back. And you'd be like, <laughs> why is this my problem? Right. Like, <laughs> I'd just be like, where's, you know, where's Drew? And then it'd be like, yeah, Drew should have been back from break like 10 minutes ago. And then you would just look out <laughs> into Madison Square Park and be like, yeah, Drew's not coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like not managing people as a goal 
But I think if it's food, it might not be in a restaurant, you know? Having done this job for this long, there's got to be some pull there. So I would just concentrate on what is it about that job that you still love or still enjoy or feel most yourself when you're doing it or, you know, take pleasure from. And those skills, those are the key. If you can continue using those skills in a different position, you will still be doing the thing you love about that without having to do the same job that you've had and that you know that you want to leave. Right, right. And you're sitting on 16 years of experience. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you're a writer, Amanda, or not, but I think you need to do something with that institutional knowledge, right? So writing recipes, teaching a class, writing a tell-all book, you know, like there's a lot of knowledge that you have that can be shared with people and you just need to figure out how to monetize it. Yeah, can't wait to find out. Call us back in a year and tell us what's happened. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before we go, it is time for No Thank You Please. And this week, we are talking about a food that lots of people love. In fact, this food is the headlining ingredient in an absolutely canonized Italian-American dish. This week, the topic is ziti. Carla, take it away. Wow, ziti. Ziti, ziti, ziti. I mean, (laughs) first of all, an unridged pasta to me is like a waste. It's just like a sign of laziness. Like if you're going to go to the trouble of extruding a pasta and you're not going to put ridges in it, like why? Why live? Yeah. 
Do you hate pleasure? Do you want the sauce to just like slide off instead of clinging? I want my sauce to cling, right? So that's my number one problem with ziti. Ziti could have been rigatoni, but like decided to just phone it in that day. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? And when you have baked ziti, you know, sounds great on paper. It's even worser because in the baking, it has absorbed a lot of liquid and it just gets then like flabby and flaccid and also smooth. And then the tomato sauce is running off. Nobody likes anything flaccid. (laughs) Not here anyway. No, no flaccid noodles. Thank you very much. I have ziti in the house right now that was prior of a press package, which had lovely pastas in it. And even though this pasta was sent to me and it's a great brand, I cannot bring myself to cook the ziti. It, well, it, it's like it's, it's like trying to pull like minnows out of a bucket with a spoon. You know, <laughs> they're just like all like moving around. You can't like get them. Who who wants that? Yeah, it's like somebody gave you a fork, but the fork is like coated in Vaseline, and you just can't <laughs> <laughs> you can't get anything. Wow. So from flaccid to Vaseline um, and minnows in a bucket. <laughs> This is probably the best no thank you please we've ever recorded. Congratulations. It's just, even if Ziti was the only shape left on the shelf. Ooh, here it comes. I would completely pivot and just come up with a different dish. It's just not invited to my party. I'm sorry. Now we know the truth. Thank you. Slip on out of here, Ziti. (laughs) Just slide away. That's it for this week's episode of Borderline Salty. But don't worry, we'll be back next week. You can find recipes and recommendations from this week's episode in our show notes. If you have a question or a fear you want us to help you through, you can always leave us a voicemail at 833-433-FOOD. That number again is 833-433-3663. Borderline Salty is an original production by Pineapple Street Studios. We're your hosts. I'm Rick Martinez. I'm Carla Lolly Music. You can find links to our work in the show notes for this episode. Natalie Brennan is our lead producer. Janelle Anderson is our producer. Our managing producer is Agarena Shashagre. Our assistant producer is Madi Orozco. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. Mixing and engineering by Davy Sumner and Jason Richards. Our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. Original music from our very own Raj Makija. Additional music from Vincent Vega, Spring Gang, and Glovebox, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Legal services for Pineapple Street are provided by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Our executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Thanks to Julia, Alex, Taylor, and Amanda for calling in this week. And thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios. It's time to go. Party's over. Love you. Mean it. Bye. See you soon. Love you. Bye. Bye.